All right, so second time this day, we have the opportunity of uh, considering just a portion of the Word of the Lord, and we were in the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew this morning. Now, we're in what we call epistolary literature, that it, uh, it comes in letter form, and we find ourselves in one of those letters, the letter of the Apostle Paul to the church of Ephesus, or in the book of Ephesians, and I'd like to read from uh, Ephesians chapter 1, beginning at verse 3, and just read through verse 14, and focus just on a couple of verses in connection with the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and also um, our ongoing catechetical series as we're um, considering question answer 58 of this document that goes all the way back to 1563 called the Heidelberg Catechism, and we are going to be focusing on one little phrase of this whole section of what we call the Apostles' Creed, which we just confessed a moment ago, which reflects the fundamentals of the faith which we hold dear. And we're going to be looking at this phrase of the comfort that we have in the truth of what we call everlasting life. That the life that we live now is not the only life that we ever lived. There is also what we call eternal life. And the Bible holds that before us as something to aspire to to count all things but loss in order that we might gain Christ and that life to come. So we're going to be considering um, that. Um, and uh, Oh, what I was going to also say is this. For, for some of you here who are, who are new this afternoon, bear in mind that every afternoon when we meet together at 2.30, we have what we call our catechetical service. And it's more of a, a teaching type of service, not just for adults, but also children. And we try to involve our children um, in this service and in this portion of the sermon. So I'm going to try to explain things simply for, for, for them especially because we want them to learn with us. And um, we also have discussion time, just a brief maybe about five-minute, seven-minute discussion time where we try to involve the children in as well. Speaking of children, for those of uh, the kids who are here this afternoon, I want you to think about this question because I'm going to ask you, i got three questions for the discussion period and the first one is very simple, and that is this. Okay, kids, listen up. Have you ever wondered in quiet moments, maybe you're lying in bed at night, have you ever questioned whether or not God really loves you? And also whether or not you will be in heaven one day. Do you ever question if God really loves you, and do you ever question if you will be in heaven one day? I want you to think about that, and then I'm going to ask you that first question. I'm not going to ask any of the adults here. I'm just going to ask you. And I'm going to field your answers, okay? All right, Ephesians chapter 1. Let's begin reading at verse 3, and then once we're done with this, we'll confess together Q&A 58. All right. So, in fact, why don't we just start it? Uh, I'm going to read verses 1 and 2, and then um, I'll... Verse... Then, oh, 1 and 2 is already on there. Good. Then uh, take a look at the overhead. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God... To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has blessed us in the Beloved. 
In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He has set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works out all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. I, I almost have to give a sigh because I'm almost out of breath. There is, there is so, so much there. Uh, and there's oftentimes when you're dealing with epistolary literature, I'm, I'm like, oh my. I mean, there's, there's about 10 different sermons in there. But we're going to, that's why I want to focus, especially just this afternoon, in connection with what we're looking at from the Catechism on verses 13 and 14. Now, um, if we could take a look. There we go. So there's the question. We're going to give the answer together. We confess the answer here together. So here's the question What comfort do you receive from the article, that is, that article in the Apostles' Creed, about life everlasting? And let's say together, since I now already feel in my heart the beginning of eternal joy, I shall after this life possess perfect blessedness such as I has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man conceived a blessedness in which to praise God forever. Okay, so A.V., if you just keep that up there, and then I'm going to ask you in a couple minutes to go to the Ephesians passage. But just leave this up here for now. I want you, I want you to take a look um, at uh, the question and answer here. So the question is this, and you need to pay attention, by the way, in this catechetical document to the questions as well as the answers. Sometimes we just focus on the answers. So the question is this, and, and this is the theme throughout this catechetical document called the Heidelberg Catechism. The focus is often on the comfort of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus for us. So what comfort do you receive from the article about life everlasting? In other words, that this life is not all that there is, but there is life to come. Now look at, look at the answer. Since I already now feel in my heart the beginning of eternal joy, I shall after this life possess perfect blessedness, such as no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man conceived, a blessedness in which to praise God forever. Now part of that, that answer comes almost word for word, verbatim, right out of the Bible. And that's what's beautiful about this catechetical document, just how scripturally based it is. Now when you take a look at the answer, um, you know, it's, it's really the one, two, three, four, five, the last six lines of that answer that kind of stick with us and that we focus on, right? I shall ever, or I shall after this life possess perfect blessedness such as no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man conceived, a blessedness in which to praise God forever. So when we think of life everlasting, what do we think? We think of this. 
We think of what comes after this life, after we die. And you ask most Christians, what happens after you die? Well, you say, then I go home to be with the Lord. I go to heaven, then heaven is a provisional place. Once Christ returns, he's going to usher in the new heavens and a new earth. And our souls and our bodies, as we have seen over the last couple of weeks, will come together and we will go on to live in a glorified state in the new creation, in the new heavens and the new earth, right? So that's, that's all future, and that's kind of what we're left with in this answer. All right, but I want you to take a look at the first two lines. Since I already feel in my heart the beginning of eternal joy, I shall after this life. Now, notice how this answer, and this is really important because it's not something that we oftentimes think of. It, 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 what it does is it takes the future of what I just described and it inserts it, inserts it into the present, into our lives now, where it says, I already now feel in my heart the beginning of eternal joy. This perfect blessedness and this eternal joy that we will experience in the new creation one day, God gives us a little taste of this right now at certain times in our lives. Now, I want us to think about that because I think it's not something that we always think about. A lot of times I find... Um, in, in, in our circle sometimes when we, when we look at the world, we, we, we see the trials of this world, the difficulties of this world, um, and what uh, 2 Corinthians 5 and Romans 8 talks about is this, this, these groanings that we experience in this life. The Bible even says the creation around us groans, waiting for its full redemption at the return of Jesus Christ. So, hey, that's life. And, and you're maybe groaning right now. You have things going on in your life right now where things are kind of heavy. And that's true. That's true. No one doubts that. But something that we don't always think about in the midst of the difficulties that we face almost on a daily basis in this life is that as a token of the grace and the mercy and the goodness of God, in the midst of our difficulties, God sometimes will take bits and pieces of heaven to come or the new creation and he, 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 he allows them to break into the present whereby we experience these little oasises that God gives us where we taste of his goodness and the blessings of the life to come. And I want to focus with you on that, that very subject of tasting of heaven on earth even now. I hope it doesn't sound heretical to you, but there is a way in which we taste that of heaven already now. So stick with me as we go through this passage. Ephesians chapter 1. Um, if you put the Ephesians passage on there now, if you would. Okay, now, this is a, this is a dense passage, and it's a beautiful passage, and it, um, it deals with a subject that I think I said a couple of weeks ago I really want to deal with, and maybe even do a series on this, on the whole doctrine of predestination, because a lot of people have questions about that, and a lot of people have some, while they think they know what predestination is, oftentimes they, they have some uh, kind of inter incorrect understandings of what predestination is. So I hope to, to deal with that um, in, a, in a series a little bit later on. So predestination is, is talked about in this passage and other places of Scripture. But really when you take a look at verses 3 through 14, what it spells out is the kind of, as Christians, the kind of relationship that we have with God from beginning to end. So to, to, to take this whole dense piece of Scripture and to put it very simply in terms of our relationship with God, we are taught in this passage that we belong 
to God as Christians. We belong to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And all three persons of the Holy Trinity are mentioned here in this passage. So in Ephesians chapter 1, we're taught that we are chosen by God the Father before all time. Now you let that roll around in your mind a little bit. You know, the Bible never teaches us that, oh, we believe in Jesus Christ, and at that point then, He chooses us, He says, you're mine. No, no, no. The Bible says before all time, even before we were created, God had His hand on us and He chose us. The Father chooses us before all time. Then in time, it's God who gives us the gift of faith so that we're drawn to Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that in Christ we are redeemed. In Christ by faith we are forgiven. In Christ by faith we are adopted into the family of God where God becomes our Father and we become each other's brothers and sisters in Christ. So before all time, we're chosen by God the Father. In time, we are redeemed, forgiven, and adopted by Jesus Christ. And then, here comes the person of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who seals us and guarantees our eternal inheritance, that we belong to the Lord not just in the past and the present, but always for the future. So we belong to God before all time, in time, and for all time. That's a beautiful, beautiful, comforting, comforting truth. Okay, so it's what we see in the passage. So the Lord says, you always belong to me. Now, I want you to take a look at verse 13. Because this, I told you I want to focus on verses 13 and 14 in connection with this little bit of taste of heaven on earth. Now notice what it says there in verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So Ephesians 1 talks about being chosen by the Father and redeemed and forgiven and adopted through Jesus Christ, through faith in Christ. But a lot of times people have questions about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And what we find here is that the work that God begins, the Father and the Son, is the Holy Spirit who applies to us, and it's the Holy Spirit. The word that is used here is He seals us. Like, what does that mean? What, is, what does it mean to be sealed by the Spirit? It means that we have the confirmation through the Holy Spirit who lives in us, we have that confirmation that, you know what? We who believed in Christ, we will not lose that. We are sealed by Him. We have the mark. The Holy Spirit is our mark of belonging to God, and He confirms that mark of God upon us. Now, kids, remember I said earlier that this sermon is also for you too. So when you think about being sealed by the Holy Spirit and God having His mark upon you, think about it like this. Um, sometimes on ranches, you have uh, a steer, an animal, a steer, and that steer is branded. And they take a hot iron, a rancher will take a hot iron, and what he does is he, he puts that, that iron in some fire, so it gets red hot, and then he goes right onto the hide of that steer. And that produces a mark on that steer, a burned-in mark. And what that mark shows is that that particular steer belongs to a particular owner of a particular ranch. Maybe ranch Y, X, or Z, or what have you. So that brand, or that, that brand is a mark of belonging to someone, to a rancher. Okay? The Holy Spirit also marks us. 
He brands us, if you will, and he basically says, you belong to me. You belong to God. I have put that mark on you. Now, here's the difference between the steer and you and I. When that steer is branded, that goes on the outside of the steer, on the hide of the steer. But with the Holy Spirit, his brand or his mark is put in here. It's placed upon our hearts. He marks us out as belonging to God. So internally, he confirms in our hearts. And Romans 5, verse 5 says, he pours the love of God into our hearts and confirms to our hearts that, you know what? The God who chose you from all time and who has redeemed you in time through Jesus Christ has marked you for his own throughout all time. And I put that confirmation and the feeling of that and the certainty of that in your hearts. And you think about that. That's a beautiful thing. Romans chapter 8. Would you put that up there, please? We get a little taste of that. Notice what it says here. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. An heir is someone who is in possession of an inheritance. In this life, you have that possession of an inheritance, but you don't get the fullness of that inheritance until the future, right? The Spirit who testifies in our hearts that, you know what? You are children of God, and never forget that. God places His mark upon you as His children. It's a mark of love, not just ownership, but a mark of love. Okay. Now, here's the thing. This, this mark of ownership and this mark of being a child of God who is an heir of eternal life, it's the Spirit who not only marks us as belonging to God, but also that mark is His that is already now here in this life. Take a look at verses 13 and 14 together. In Him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, you believed in Him, and you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is, notice, the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Now, I want you to take, if, if, okay, take a look at verse 14. In verse 13, you see the word sealed. That's the mark of ownership. But look at verse 14. It's the Spirit is also the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Now, if you start at verse 14, I want you to go to that word guarantee. Because that's a very, very important word. The word guarantee in the original language is the word erebon. Erebon. And you will find that only three places in the New Testament. And it's a very important word. The word erebon means pledge or down payment. So in other words, the Holy Spirit not only seals us as, and marks us as belonging to God, but He also pledges that one day, this future blessedness, this inheritance, the fullness of that, that already now in this life, He's guaranteeing, He's pledging to us that that which is future is ours. It's not in doubt. So let me, let me try to explain this Erebon as a pledge of the inheritance to come, the promise of the inheritance to come, uh, by means of an analogy. 
when, when, a, when, a, when a young man and a young woman fall in love, and they get to know each other for a time, there, there, comes, a, there comes a point where they say, you know, we either, we either got to really fish or we got to cut bait. And, it, and it's, not, it's not uncommon, and it's, it's, in fact, it's pretty common that the young man and young woman will be getting to, uh, will know each other for a while, and it's the woman is like, you know, um, and Joy and I experienced this a little bit together too, I think. So it's like, when, when, when is this guy going to step forward, and when is he going to marry me? I mean, I, I, either, either put that ring on my finger, man, or, you know, let me go, right? So, and there comes a point where maybe it's, he's the one, and the guy finally presents the young woman with an engagement ring. What is that engagement ring? It's a pledge. It's a down payment, so to speak, of a marriage bond to come. So when, 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 a, when, a, when, a, when that young man places an engagement ring on the young woman's finger, basically when she looks at that, she's thinking, okay, the relationship, the relationship that we have now, the love that we have now, the level, certain level of intimacy that we have now, and the depth of the relationship, that ring is a testimony that what we experience now we will experience in greater fullness and greater blessing and greater intimacy and greater happiness when that time comes, when we're married. But when that guy puts that wedding ring on that finger and says, you're mine, you belong to me, and I'm showing that I belong to you, and what we have now we're going to experience in fullness later on. When the Holy Spirit is not only the one who marks us as belonging to God, but when the Holy Spirit also uh, puts the Erebon on us, so to speak, puts that wedding ring or that engagement ring on our finger, he's saying, you know what? Already now we have that relationship, but I am the guarantee, I am the guarantee that a fuller, more blessed relationship is coming. That's what you have to look forward to. And you think, that's pretty beautiful as well, isn't it? You see the importance of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But one final thing, and that is this. I want you to think about this, that this pledge, this air bond, is not only a guarantee of heaven, but it's also, at times, a foretaste of heaven. Where the Holy Spirit not only works in our hearts, guaranteeing that we who are in Christ will one day experience the fullness of our inheritance, but it's the Holy Spirit who takes what is future, the full future perfect blessedness as the catechism talks about it, and he inserts it into our lives even, even now. And, and again, I, like I said at the very beginning of the sermon, I don't, I don't know how oftentimes we really think about that. Um, take a look at 2 Corinthians 5, verse 5. For while we were still in this tent, what is that tent? We looked at this text a couple weeks ago, remember? The tent is our bodies. We groan. That's the reality of this life. We groan. Being burdened. That what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. But he who has prepared for us this very thing is God who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. There's the word erebons. The second time it's used in the New Testament is the guarantee 
that after this life is swallowed up, we're going to enter into that glory which the Spirit already now invests into our present. He gives us this little taste. Let me, let me uh, give you a down-to-earth um, example of this. And there's one thing I wanted to bring with me, and I don't like to work with props usually, but I forgot to bring it. I was kind of rushed this afternoon. So try to think about it like this. Kids, I know this is just a plastic cup and it's just a glass of water, but imagine this is a fine piece of crystal. It's a crystal goblet. And imagine what you see here is not something as dull as water, but imagine that this is a crystal goblet filled with wine. Now, kids, you're, uh, you're too young to drink wine, right? And if I brought real wine here, I might get in trouble with a lot of churches, but I don't think it pathway. But anyway, and you have this goblet and you have this wine. Imagine it. When you ha- if you've ever taken a look at wine, wine is an incredible thing. It comes from God's creation. And when you, when you take a look at the wine, especially a red wine, it's got this beautiful color and you hold it up to the light. And it's got a beautiful fragrance, a beautiful aroma. And sometimes, professionals, what they'll do is they'll have wine tasting, and they'll pour, the guy will pour the wine. Once the wine is poured, what do they do? They, go, they get the aroma, right? And they swirl it around. I'm not an expert on this, but I think this is how it goes. And they swirl it around. They smell it like this. And then what they do is they put it on their tongue. They swirl around on their tongue and let it go here and there on their tongue. The experts know exactly what they're looking for. And sometimes it can be a cheap wine, but sometimes it is just a beautiful, beautiful glass of wine. Now, when they, when they have that full wine and they take a sip, what is that? Are they drinking the full glass? Nobody takes a really fine $100 glass of wine and just go, look, 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 look. If they do, they usually got a problem. Okay, so now what you do is you take a little bit of a sip, and what we call that, kids, is we call that a little taste, a little foretaste of the fullness of that beautiful glass of wine which they get to experience at a meal or something like that. And this is what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit gives us these little tastes of wine, so to speak, in this life, which are really tokens of love and the grace of God. So as, as, as I draw to a close, I want you to think about this. Have, have you ever had those, ex- and I'm going to ask you actually this question. I want to hear some of our responses to this during the discussion time. But have you ever experienced um, a little taste of heaven on earth at some point in your life? Like, for instance, a, a few practical matters. Um, we live in a very beautiful area, and a lot of us like to live outdoors for a while, and we like to climb a mountain. Have you ever, have you ever climbed to the top of uh, a mountain that's pretty high up? And it took a lot to get up to the top of that mountain, but once you got to the top and you looked around and you saw this beautiful scenery, has it ever come to mind that, number one, that scenery did not come by chance or evolutionary processes, but God spoke that scenery into existence. But not only that, when you see the beauty of that, do you think of, to yourself, that's a taste of the new world to come? Some of you know that Joy and I went to uh, the San Juan Islands just for a couple-day break um, last week. And uh, we know the island well. We went many times to it. And there's a place called, maybe some of you have been up there, Mount Constitution, where you get this beautiful panoramic view of, uh, of the San Juan Islands. 
On the other side of the island, we took a trail that we never took before, and it took us a while to get to the top. But when you get to the top, it's not a 360-degree view, but close. And when you look around, you just go, oh, man, you know, that's a taste of heaven. And then you ever think about this when you say to yourself, if this, in this fallen world, is as good as it is right now, what is the new creation going to be like? There are times in our lives where give, God gives us this taste of the new creation to come. Or how about this? Have you ever fallen in love? You know, um, those of us who've been married 20, 30, 40 years, you say you're still in love, and you go, yeah, we're still in love. It's just that love, you know, it just kind of morphs over time. It's a different kind of love than we first had usually, right, than when we first fell in love, right? When you first fell in love, what God as a Christian is doing is giving you a little taste of that perfect world of love, as Jonathan Edwards calls it, in the new creation. Or finally this, just one other example. When you, have you ever sat down to a wonderful meal, and there's the bounty of the food, and the tastes are just right, and you have that perfect glass of wine with the meal, and you got that perfect company, maybe fellow Christians, and you're interacting, and you have meaningful conversation, you're laughing at certain points. Do you ever, in a sense, at that meal, think to yourself, man, I don't get many times like this, but this is so wonderful. And you know what this is? This is a taste of the marriage feast of the Lamb to come and the new creation. See? Beautiful piece of music, beautiful this or that. We experience things in this life where if you have the eyes to see and the theology and the doctrine to comprehend, you kind of go, that's a taste of the goodness of God periodically in this life that sometimes carries with it many sufferings and many groanings. So think about this, and let's remember this when we experience something beautiful. And in the meantime, you know, for those in Christ, may it be that, that the, the beautiful breaking in of heaven on earth that we experience here below may whet our appetites for even greater blessings to come in the new creation. And that's all I want to say. Let's pray, and then we're going to have a little bit of time discussion. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for these little touches of grace and these little experiences of your goodness in this life where where we, 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 we taste of the eternal life and, as the Catechism calls it, perfect blessedness of the life to come. We think of Jesus' words who said, um, if you believe in me, he doesn't say you will have eternal life. He says you have eternal life. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us life now with more fullness of life in the life to come. Oh, God, Wet our appetites for that day and give us feet to run the race set before us that we may all join hands and experience this perfect blessedness when that day comes. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.